I was just like, I was sitting here listening to her. And I was like, oh, Meg is a Christian witch. Welcome to Holy Coasting, a podcast by your four-year-old mom friends. I'm Lindsay, senior warden at my Episcopal church in Portland, Oregon. I'm Meg, and I am a woman reclaiming my power after being raised evangelical. And I'm Sarai, and I am a witch. And today, I am so excited to welcome our very first guest ever, and hopefully not our last, Dr. Melissa Bird. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I am Dr. Melissa Bird, and I live in the lovely and fabulous Corvallis, Oregon. And I am a junior warden in the Episcopal Church. I'm also a lay preacher for the Episcopal Church. And I'm a Christian witch. Yay. Dr. Bird is a feminist, which we love. We love a good feminist, an author, a healer, and a coach. I love this quote on your website from Joan of Arc. It says, I am not afraid. I was born to do this. And this idea of reclaiming that power that we were born with that we maybe don't have or was maybe taken or stripped away from us in our evangelical upbringing is something that I'm very interested in talking to you about and understanding where has this come from in your life? But before we get into that, please tell us and our listeners, where in the world did you come up with this idea of being a Christian witch and shine that Christian witch light? (laughs) We need to know. (laughs) Well, hi. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited you started out with reclaiming your power because that's awesome. It starts out with, I've always known I was a witch, like ever since I was little and playing Barbies and making potions and like making magical things happen with my potions. I used to lay in the grass when I was little on my tummy and like make bird's nests out of grass because, you know, that's a thing. And but I didn't assume the birds would come, but then the birds would come and I'd be like, oh, dang, I did that. I'm awesome. I grew up in Utah. But I'm okay. Not Mormon. Whoa, hold on. You grew yeah, up in yeah, one Utah. of the rare few. Yeah. Not wow. Mormon. Well, it's actually a really horrifying story. Do you want me to tell it? Yeah. I'd yes. Love to hear. It's horrifying. <laughs> I mean, why not? Yeah. Horrifying. I was Mormon until my dad committed suicide when I was six. Mm. And basically, my bishop kicked my mother out of church. Eight's the year you get baptized in Utah. And when I turned eight, I actually made the decision to get baptized. But I distinctly remember fighting with my mom in Utah back then in the 80s. Your friends wouldn't hang out with you if you weren't LDS. I told my mom, I don't want to be a Christian. I want to be Mormon. Interesting. My mom looked at me and she said, well, you sure as hell aren't going to be Christian. (laughs) So fast forward five years ago, I'm bisexual. I was married to women for 12 years. In 2010, I got a divorce from my ex-wife. She left me five hours after I got inseminated. Whoa. (gasps) Dang. I could not get pregnant. I'm totally infertile. But here's what happened, y'all. I was laying on the floor in my kitchen, sobbing, brokenhearted. I I was there for three days. And the whole time I prayed, and I had never said a prayer. I've been casting spells, by the way. Spell casting is praying and praying is spell casting, just for all your listeners out there. Yes, um, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but I'm laying on my floor and I'm like, dear God, just give me someone who loves me for who I am and give me my own family. And I just said it over and over and again for three days. I didn't move like or like my friends did shifts to just hold my head. Mm-hmm. So that was in August. And then end of October, I was in the bar, my neighborhood bar, where I would go and drink whiskey and grade papers because I was teaching at the University of Utah. It's a good combo. (laughs) Well, it is because it's like the last five papers and no one knows the difference between there, there and there. And I'm like, like, (laughs) so I always had a little bit of whiskey into the bar walks, several very drunk soldiers. And my now husband was the designated driver. And I felt him walk in the door and I was like, oh, (laughs) going to turn out very bad on a number of levels. This is trouble. And basically the short story is that one of the soldiers tried to hit on me and I was all, Mm-mm, not today. It was the worst pickup line ever. And Jim like intervened right after he put on uh, my favorite punk rock songs of all time ever and Metallica on the jukebox. And I was all, oh, I'm done. I'm doomed. <laughs> and it turns out that James Thomas Kelly, the love of my life, who I've now been with for 12 years, had three children wow. who were one, one, three, and nine when I met them. <gasps> oh, fun. Oh my gosh. My oldest daughter, Caitlin, 
when we moved to Oregon and Caitlin says, I want to go to church and I'm all, oh, hell no. Mm -mm." How old is Caitlin at this point? She was 14. I was like, no, no, I'm not going into a church. No, no, no churchy church. No. And so she kept begging. So I called my friends, the Marks, who are Episcopals. And Mark is a deacon in Laguna Beach in the church. And I was like, I need you to find me a church because I don't know how and I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't really want to go to church because no church for this girl. Mm -mm. But I'll go because Caitlin wants to go. And so we called all the Episcopal churches in like a 30 mile radius. And he said, you're not going to believe it, but your church is right down the street from your house. And I was like, I don't believe you. (laughs) Okay. I think they're, they're LGBT. They're feminist. They're affirming. You're going to love it. I talked to the staff. They're really great. You should go on Sunday. And I was like, it's Easter on Sunday. (laughs) I am not going to church on the zombie Jesus day. It is not going to happen. And Mark says, to me, it's the best day to go because no one will know you're there. Yeah, it's <laughs> so true. It's true. It's so That's true. like when all, all the visitors come. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Took a couple more months. We walk into church the first time. Gwendolyn, my middle daughter, who is a witch, is like, I'm going to get caught on fire and I'm going to die. I'm like, you're going to be fine. If I can do this, <laughs> you can do this, sis. So we all walk into church and there's Phyllis, the greeter, who's like 700 years old and the sweetest woman on the planet. And she hands us our little gift bag with the homemade rolls. Sean's like, there's bread. This is amazing. This is in 2018. We go into the church, like into the sanctuary. And I look around and I start sobbing. And every Sunday for the next four months, Jim's like, can we just sleep in? I'm like, nope, we're going to church. And every Sunday I would walk into church and ugly cry, like snot coming out of my nose, sobbing like a baby. I'm talking to the priest who, by the way, is from England. So it's very nice to listen to Simon preach because it's kind of like you're in another world. It's really delightful. And I'm in there sobbing and I'm like, this cannot be right. In the meantime, one of my friends, it turns out, goes to that church. Have no idea. Miss Wendy Boring, who teaches theology and paganism at Willamette University. Hey, I'm like, Wendy, I have a problem. I think I love Jesus and I'm a witch. I can't do both of those things. Mm. I cannot love God and connect with God and talk to the Holy Spirit like I do. I I can't do this, Wendy. And she's like, yeah, you can. Because around the 10th, 11th, 12th centuries, there were Celtic pagans. They were the bridge builders between paganism and Christianity. And she goes, you're just following your ancestry. And I'm like, no, I am not. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, yeah, you are. What ended up happening was about a year into it, I got baptized. Whoa. (laughs) And... Then after that, I got confirmed as a lay preacher for the church and I started preaching. No one was more shocked than me that this happened. But here's my favorite part of this. So I had a coach because I'm I'm a life coach and public speaker teaching women how to find their voice and make a difference in their lives and their communities. So my coach says, you got to come out. And I'm all, oh, no, 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 no. Because if I come out as Christian, the witches are going to hate my guts. Mm. And if I come out as a witch, the Christians are going to hate my guts. And I like my friends and I like my people. And she's like, it's not like we don't know, Missy. And I'm like, I don't care. Not going to do it. I've come out a million times. Fine. I will commit to you that I will use the hashtag Christian witch on my Instagram. Well, I thought I was being a fucking genius. There's like thousands of people. I'm all... No, this was my original gift. (laughs) The original hashtag. What the hell is going on? Well, it turns out there's a whole lot of us. And knowing that made me feel much less alone. And it also made me feel a lot more confident in my preaching Mm. because no longer did I have to separate out. This is me on these days. And this is me on these days. I get to be me every day. And what happened is I have all these people reaching out to me saying, thank you so much for allowing me to know that my intuition is given to me, but God, Mm. and to know that my magic, my abilities are God-given abilities and that I can still love Jesus and Mary and the Trinity and I can still take communion and I can still be a witch. I love this juxtaposition. I kind of came the other way through like evangelical Christianity and I rebaptized myself into my own divinity when I realized the kind of the witch power. And for me at that time, what was so valuable about it was this experience of feeling like I don't remember which gospel it is because even though I have a degree in general ministry, I do not recall all of the chapters and verses, but when the Holy of Holies in the temple was ripped apart when Jesus was crucified is what I felt when I rebaptized myself is that this sense of separation between my power and the power of of godness was never separate. And it became separate because I was taught that it was not me and was taught to kind of subvert my intuition, subvert anything I thought to be 
true or what I thought was right for myself and instead choose suffering a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really interested to hear your take on the magic. What is that magic? And what are these other Christian women experiencing? Because I probably experienced it too, but I had to come out of the religion to be able to be that for myself. And, sure. I, and I think that's whatever. It's just my journey. Do you know the story of Thecla? I do not. <gasps> Friends, all of you need to get the book, Mary Magdalene Revealed. Good book, guys. The story of Thecla is in there. I forgot. The story of Thecla is how she baptized herself. Hmm. And everyone was totally appalled, but she was like, no, we all have the power to do this. Here's what I love about divine power. It's a knowing. I wrote about this idea that there's a difference between mental illness, anxiety, and then the anxiety that is produced because we're not living within our divine assignment. So every single one of us on the planet is here with a divine purpose. And when we don't listen to that purpose and we stay out of alignment with that purpose, what happens is that causes anxiety and it causes all these other feelings that feel like nervous energy. I do clairvoyance, so I channel spirit. And what I started to notice is that the only time I was allowing spirit to get in was like at three o'clock in the morning. So here I thought I was just menopause. But actually, if I really started listening, I was getting messages and I was writing stuff down in the in the dark. And what I started to realize is the more I tried to push myself to fall back asleep and I was missing the messages. I'm the caller of the witches. That's what I've been called the grandmother, um, the web weaver, the caller. So what I finally figured out is that I call women in and empower them with this divine power to go out and use their power and service to others. And I work with a lot of women who just have this intuitive knowing about things. They understand plants. They understand nature. They understand women's bodies. They're like healers, old school healers. The women that I work with have just this sense of knowing and really strong intuition about the way they want the world to be. And that is divinely given. That is not separate. Here's where I think it becomes very powerful. Just pointing at Meg, you are describing describing Meg. Am I? Yes. Yes. I I mean, my perception of you, Meg. Yes. I was feeling very exposed just then. (laughs) I was like, yeah. Um, Yeah. She understands plants and she She is like a plant goddess. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can tell. And just a goddess goddess. But when we're laying in bed, forcing ourselves to not listen, because we think, Mm -hmm. damn, it's 3 a.m. and I got to get up and deal with the kids and blah, 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 la, 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 la it's still going to keep coming. Yeah. And what throws us into disorder and chaos is that we're not listening. And part of that is because we've spent our entire lives being told that we're crazy, Mm -hmm. that witches are bad, that we're totally insane, that we're not to be trusted. I had a huge vision to start talking about the fact that we are still in the middle of creation. I was talking to my priest, we were having coffee and he's like, I realized that creation isn't over. And I was like, what? Well, you know, all these religions talk about it like it's done. And he's like, we're here bearing witness to it. And I was like, wait a minute. If we are naturally occurring beings on this planet and we are born the way we are because God, the mother earth, the divine creator who made this planet and we are pieces of this planet, we are woven into the fabric of the birds and the bees and the rivers and the oceans and the mountains and the trees. If we are creation in its moment, I get to do anything I want and be anything I want to be. I am a naturally occurring thing on this planet. We are here as a part of Mother Earth, which is the greatest creation. Mm -hmm. And it's not done. For millions and millions of years, she will continue to repurpose herself, to give birth, to die, to grow, give birth, to die, to grow. That's just what she's going to keep doing. And we're just part of it. That's powerful. That is magic. (laughs) I want to first take us back a little bit to when you say God, I still have this very powerful, patriarchal, old man with the beard, you know, vision. That Old Testament God, right? So help us get past that. Because when (laughs) you talk about God, all the things that you are saying, I'm like, yeah, I I like that. I want to be in that space. But I am so locked in to this patriarchal bullshit. Help us get out of that first. Like, shake it off. But what what would you say to women? I mean, me in particular, but anybody who is anyone, what does God look like? Yeah. I didn't say God. I didn't used to say God. Like it freaked me out. I was like, yeah, it, it's spirit, like, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Me too. I, I kept hedging around it. I call it the universe and spirit and you know, all the things, right? Also, I have a little bit of an out because I'm also Southern Paiute. So we say creator. And so like, mm-hmm. I'm like creator. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it's so right? nice. Yeah. But it's it's all the same. Here's what made me love the word God. Because for me, God balances my love of what I call my Trinity of the Marys. Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, and my grandmother Mary. So sometimes I pray to them instead of the other Trinity. What? <laughs> Well, we oh, love we love to give some prayers up to I love line. Mary. Mary oh, is man. my favorite. Yeah. When I was going through that divorce, I was seeing a spiritual psychologist. I was having all these, uh, basically a spiritual crisis because of course I'm like opening up to all of these things and I'm all, I don't understand what's happening. So she's like, we're going to do a meditation. I dreamed that I was drowning every night. So I refused to sleep because I was oh, so tired. I was drowning. And then my hands were on fire all the way to my elbow. So I was channeling all this Kali heat healer energy. Because when you heal, your hands get really, really, really hot. My hands were on fire and I was drowning. And, and I was like, and she goes, okay, we're going to do a meditation. And I want you to, while you're in this meditation, you're going to envision who is holding you up out of the ocean. Who's pulling you out of these raging waters that are drowning you so you can't breathe and you don't have to struggle anymore. So she puts me into this meditation and I come out of it and I was pissed. I was like, every feminist bone in my body is mad because the person that pulled me out of that water was not Gaia and it was not Persephone. It wasn't even Kali. It was Jesus and God as one being, but it was like white Mormon Jesus. Wow. And then in every single stupid church and people's houses. And I was so <laughs> mad. I was like, this is bullshit. And she goes, that's who's holding you. Like, why don't you embrace that? That is where your softness, your end of struggle comes from. You can call that person, whatever you want to, if you can't call it God, but know that that is who holds you up. Hmm. Dang, uh, that's powerful. Y'all, I was mad. But what happened was the minute I embraced that it is that father, like as in the all loving father, that divine masculine energy that balances the divine feminine energy in all of us. The minute I allowed it to be God, I quit drowning. And then we were sitting on the beach talking under these big, huge, gigantic pine trees all the time. This is all so fascinating and you're blowing my mind as a person. I mean, we were all raised very conservative and evangelical and have sort of like landed in different places in our adult life. And I'm probably the last to deconstruct of us. And so I feel like, you know, I'm playing this continual catch up and I'm still like a fan of Jesus. And I often say, I just don't like most of his followers. You know, I think it was teetering on the edge for a long time. And then Trump happened and I was just like, fuck this, I'm out. When you're talking about this magic, literally never even dawned on me that that could be a thing that's like associated with like Jesus as I understand him. And so I, because it's just been, it's evil, it's bad, it's demons. And if you're going to do this sort of thing, you're opening yourself up to bad, 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 evil, evil, evil. And so just to hear, like, you're so comfortable in this and it, the the power and the joy that like radiates from you when you talk about this is, it's mind blowing. It really is. It's like so refreshing to hear someone talk about magic in a way that's like, it just hadn't dawned on me. Of course, if you believe in this divine creator, why wouldn't he, she, they be able to impart us with some magic and let us do some fun? Like, yeah, I, like, I really like this. So was there ever a doubt in your mind? Like, I know you said that, that one one person told you about like kind of the pagan connection. Did you have to do a deep dive or were you just like, yeah, this is it. And you ran with it. Like, did you have to struggle? Oh, God, with no. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask anyone in my family, but I go through on a daily basis, but it's become easier and easier and easier for me to admit that I have this sight and this intuition and this gift that was divinely given to me. I don't care what we call it or who we call it, but it's mine. I love this line of thinking and being. And one of the things as you were talking about your experience with the burning hands and the Kali energy and the experience of reckoning with what God is to you and how it appeared to be white Jesus in your, in your vision, it reminds me so much of the mythology of Sedna, the goddess whose father was angry with her and kicked her out of the family kayak and cut her fingers off so she couldn't hold on to the edge of the boat. And then her fingers became the seals and the walruses. And she went down to the bottom of the sea and was this vengeful sea goddess. It has so many parallels. And I feel like what I love about witching anything is the almost universality 
of these mythologies that we carry and they have different faces and they have different names and they have different expressions and different cultures through time. But ultimately what you were repeating about the cycle of creation of birth, death and growth is literally the exact same mythology that Christianity is based on. And so my witching tradition is also very much a Celtic tradition, very eclectic, but that's where my ancestry is as well. So I try to stick with like, here are my roots. Like this is what is mine and I can bring it forward. So I'm not just appropriating everyone else's spiritual traditions as much as I can avoid it. But I do, I think it's really fun to hear you talk about it because it does, it resonates with me as this opportunity for us to continue this opening of just because the names or the faces or the hairstyle of whatever version of Jesus or Sedna or Godness or God we're experiencing, the story is really still the same. And it's really about eternity. And it's always about growth. It's always about expansion. It's, it is always about how creation is advancing and it all fits together. And I think that's one of the things about evangelical Christianity that's hard for me still and why I still kind of bristle at the concept of capital G God, man God. <laughs> in particular, I, I don't think of God as a person anymore. I think of God as a, a power, but that is an accessible power to all of us in yeah. different ways. And it manifests in different ways for people. But part of what is so hard about it is that in evangelicalism, it was always about making it smaller. Let's make this story tighter. Let's make the rules around this story as, as close to black and white as we can get it. Let's make sure that if you're opening, people are afraid that you're actually opening, like Meg was saying, to demons or Lindsay, whoever it was. We all love to talk about demons. Um, yes. So, you know, I think it's it's an amazing thing to see the kind of freedom that actually comes with the version of Christ and of Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene and your grandmother as a spiritual figure in your life have yeah. this freedom with it that evangelicalism was always like, well, we can't believe in evolution because in Genesis, the story of creation is a literal seven days. And that happened 6,000 years ago. And I was homeschooled. So I was raised on this creationist scientist named Ken Ham, who had an Same. explanation Same. for everything. Yeah. So we got a lot of Ken Ham into our brains. I think one of the things that you're really pointing out, though, that I think is really important particularly for any evangelical folks, as we are exploring in 2022, what's really going on here? As we're watching our country crumble to the ground, our democracy is failing, right? Which democracies do every, you know, couple hundred years. So, I mean, we're right on. We're, yep. <laughs> but we, have to, we also have to remember that in the interpretation of evangelical Christianity that you are talking about, that is about power and control. You yep. cannot spread a church without power and control. And the thing about what's happening in the United States right now with our democracy is that our government was founded on two core principles. The first one is the doctrine of discovery, which was the papal bull that was issued by the Pope that said, any land you hit, if there are beings on that land, you kill them and take the land. The other is manifest destiny. Yeah. And Manifest Destiny said, spread the white people as far across this land as you possibly can until you meet the other side. Whatever that other side is, we don't know. Just go until you can't go anymore. And so the westward expansion was based on Manifest Destiny and the Doctrine of Discovery, just like colonization of this land that we are on was based on. Here's why I think this is really interesting for us to think about in the context of evangelical Christianity and questioning what we know about Jesus and God. And it is this. Why are we trying to uphold an institution that is based on murder, rape, and killing the land, literally decimating the land? That's not what Jesus taught us. Jesus teaches us to listen to the women in particular. That's why I love Hagar. I love that it, it was a woman who said God's name in the Bible. It was not a man. It was a woman. When we start to think about and trouble the Bible and put it in the context of our democracy, we start to realize that, for example, when the Supreme Court issued the Dobbs decision, the EPA decision, and the tribal sovereignty decision within seven days of each other, that was a message. Mm -hmm. And that was a message based on the doctrine of discovery and manifest destiny, that the church isn't done yet. 
And we're just moving into the next iteration of that in our lifetime. And so if we're going to trouble the power of evangelical Christianity, and we're going to really start to say, okay, I wonder what would happen if I realized that because my body is here, so my soul can have an experience and we are part of creation and creation is still happening, even though evangelical Christianity says it happened in seven days. There's no way. This is like the greatest experiment ever. I mean, we're watching it. God's not going to be done playing in seven days. Really? No, no. I just thought God was very efficient. He's like a productivity master. Listen, he is not. He is. He's like, (laughs) oh, you're going to deny who you are again? Let me give you some more evidence. Oh, you're going to deny what you want again? Oh, let me give you some more evidence. And then finally, at some point, you got to go, oh, (laughs) okay. Okay, I guess I'll listen. (laughs) Dr. Bird, from your perspective... Like, what's a thing I can say to evangelical women in my life who are going to instantly go into witchcraft is from the devil and your intuition is just Satan whispering and lying to you? Meg, I think this is a really important question for a couple of reasons. One is that I think we have to find people who are willing to listen. So I have a really good friend named Amy Wolf, and she and I go public on Facebook, live and unscripted, to talk about really difficult, complicated things. She's like my conservative yin to my liberal yang. That's what I used to call her. But we've both moved so far towards the middle that we can't even say that anymore. But we have very nuanced discussions. We actually just talked about abortion for the first time since the Dobbs decision because Amy couldn't talk about it. One of the things she talked about was how she didn't think she was going to be hurt. She thought she was going to feel joyous and she's really upset. Mm. And that caught her off guard. Mm. And so we have to find evangelical Christian women who are willing to listen and have conversations and find the commonalities because we are all connected in spirit. It doesn't matter what we call it. It it is in spirit. How do we disassociate Satan and the control that we were taught Satan has, which I really think was a way to dissuade us from listening to our own intuition, is saying the only voice that you should hear is God's voice. And that voice comes through the scripture and comes through the pastor. And that we aren't really able to not only hear God, but that we we just don't we're not smart enough i guess maybe is the message that i got to yeah. to have a good intuition or to follow that intuition particularly as women how do we shift our minds away how from do we that reimagine satan my seven-year-old before going to bed a night or two ago was like asking me about Satan. And we don't talk a lot about, it must be like something from my mom. Like, so she was like, how did Satan like come to be? And I was like, well, I, a lot of people say it's a fallen angel. And she's like, well, what was his name before he was Satan? And I was like, it's a story. I was just like, I don't even go to bed. I don't want to get into this right now. Always ask like right before bed. You're like, oh. always like these deep existential questions. And I'm like, I've never talk to you about Satan. Why are you asking me this? (laughs) You're like, if I got you another drink of water, could we not not talk about Satan today? Yeah. Do do you want Um, five more minutes of screen time right now? Because I will give you that. So I don't have to talk to you about Satan. (laughs) One of the things that I find really fascinating about this idea that that it's the devil coming in. I was actually just thinking about the betrayal of Judas last week. And I was thinking about how Jesus handled the betrayal of Judas. And I find it fascinating that the use of Satan, like this idea that original sin is like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I don't think it is. I think sin is not listening to our intuition and the voice of God when God speaks to us. One of the things that I that I talk to evangelical Christian women about is this idea that there's not a moment that goes by in their belief where they haven't at least one time since they were born had a conversation with God about something. Can you help me? I'm struggling. I need to know what to do next. Could you give me some damn advice? I don't know what I'm doing. I feel totally lost. Mom, tell me the story about Satan. That's God talking. And one of the things I love to talk about is this idea that if you hear the same thing from two or more people that aren't in conversation, that's God. So like if you're wondering if you should get a new job and you hear from two different people that the same place is hiring, but the same place is 500 miles away, but they're both like, you should really apply for this. That's God. That's the universe. That's spirit. And one of the things that I have often said to evangelical women is where can we come together in unity and where can we respectfully disagree with each other? I don't want to be friends with people who agree with me on every single thing. 
I want to be friends with women in particular who really cause me to think outside of my bubble. You know, I want to be friends with people who are like, I don't see it that way, but I see it this way and go, oh, I can totally see that. This is where I think the churches have screwed up. This us versus them, all or nothing, binary thinking about how the world is. That is not God. That is man. That is ego. That is not God talking. That is a human being's interpretation of what they think God might possibly want us to know. I also have found, particularly with evangelical women, when I talk about their pregnancies and their feelings during pregnancy, they'll tell you their connection to creation. The feeling of creating a human being with your body. I mean, that's magic. Yeah, it's not seven days either. God, it ain't seven (laughs) days. But it is a reflection of the creation of other things. And so once you start to find commonalities and honor each other's differences, and I think that is the key to helping people see that it's not Satan coming in. You know, you got to remember, not everyone's going to be your people. How many billions of people are on this planet? We're not going to hit all the people. But there are evangelical Christian women just like you who are going, I'm confused. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't sit right with me. In my knowledge of God, in my knowledge of the Bible, in my knowledge of my belief and my commitment to living this life of Christianity, this isn't sitting with me. And that's where we come together. And I think that's part of who we want to reach with this. I mean, I think we want this to be a safe space for people in all areas of their journey. And the hardest thing for me to like get around with what you're saying is maybe because we were all raised so conservative and have some pretty toxic family and friends and what have you. It's I'll speak for myself, like thinking of people that you could find common ground with even feels, it it feels like you you just cut your losses with those. And then we knew that this was going to like open some wounds talking about the things that we talk about. And we're pretty like real and raw and honest. And we're probably going to tick some people off. And I think that's fair. And I think we're pretty angry at the church and a lot of people in the church because they did a lot of harm. And so, you know, there's definitely the, like the people that were just like, fuck off. I'm not, you're not worth my time and energy, but I do agree that, I mean, my own mother is one of them. Like she does listen on some things and there are certain things that like think about in my childhood that she did and that she cared about that were interesting for an even because she's my dad's pastor. I was homeschooled, but like we also lived in like Alaska and Wyoming. And so she would take oh, us right. to, I remember she she took me to like a Native American reconciliation ceremony where we like, I'm a freaking kid. And she, we're like apologizing on behalf of white people. And I was like, wait, because I was young and my dad listened to Rush Limbaugh. And I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, what is she? I don't understand. You know, I did not. I was given no context. But I think about that. I'm like, you're clearly your heart is open to some of these things. You know what I mean? Like you, you get pieces of it. All of our hearts are open to these things. I mean, I'm kind of open, but I don't really know how to be open. And uh, I don't know. I don't want to lose my community. I don't want to lose my family, but I want to find a community that thinks like I do and feels like I do. And we have to let go of the people on the fringes and focus on what we know about the people in our lives. And yes, some of them we're not going to be able to talk to and communicate with about anything like this, about spirituality, about witchcraft, about Satan, about God, about all of these things. And I think more now than ever, people are going, this is not quite what I meant when I sat in church last Sunday. I have to wonder if it's time for me to flip the table and wonder if maybe maybe I could be more expansive and open to listening to people who don't exactly agree like I do. They don't think like me. If there is love anywhere in their bodies, which we are all love, if God is love and we are made in God's image, then we are love. There's no other truth. If God is love and we are made in God's image, then we are love. And I believe we are made in God's image because we are created and part of Mother Earth. Mother Earth is created by the greatest creator ever. Was it a big bane? Totally. (laughs) Is that how that happened? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. (laughs) And if that is true and we are made in this image because nature is the image of Christ, then we are all love. We don't even have to be deserving of that because it just is. It's the truth. I really think the part at the very end of what you just said is especially important. The deservingness is such a difficult sometimes conversation 
to have really with anyone. I, I mean, I think it's definitely true for me being raised evangelical that I never thought I deserved anything except, I guess, hell or something. Suffering. Um, we deserve suffering. We deserve suffering and we need it. Like if we're not suffering, we're doing it wrong. Yeah. And so that thing is important. And I think for me, just when Meg asked that question, how do you talk to evangelicals, you know, who have a different perspective? For me, the conversation that I can have with people it comes around how would Jesus deal with people who are poor and whether the people are deserving of help or not, Jesus would help them. To me, that conversation about, and it is political, it's absolutely political. And it was, in fact, the first thing that started making me question, why did I grow up listening to Rush Limbaugh every day and thought being a Christian was the same as being a conservative Republican. Like those were inextricable to me until they weren't. And then when they were, it was because I went back into the gospels and really understood what Jesus never said. You should withhold from people. You should pay lower taxes so rich people can be richer. None of that stuff is anywhere close to how Jesus talked about it. To me, if I can go back to the words of Jesus in the Gospels and think about it that way, that help, that can be an interesting conversation with evangelicals. I will say, I do not venture into the Pauline epistles because... Paul, Apostle Paul is my mortal enemy. And also I feel like a lot of the things he said are why evangelicalism is so ruinous. But I, I, I actually want to touch on something that you mentioned about the, the suffering, because this is something that I have had to deal with with my clients quite a bit, actually. Yeah. It is the, the self-flagellation and the martyring and the self-abuse. And actually it's not unique to just evangelical Christianity. It permeates our culture in the United States because of evangelical Christianity. Like even if you're not raised in a church, women still are taught to martyr themselves, to beat themselves with an imaginary flagellant if they have not performed in a certain way. We get trained in this country that we are supposed to suffer, pull up our bootstraps and get it together. That is not true because we are love and we are loved. And so what we are meant to do is love each other, love our communities, connect with each other, do the best we can with what we got and move on. This suffering and martyrdom that so many people I work with, and I have fallen prey to this myself. It has taken years of healing to go, oh, I'm okay just like this. In your social work field, I'm sure you come across that a lot. I for sure have worked in and around and on boards of nonprofits forever. And it is endemic in service. You the know, nonprofit just, industrial complex is full yeah. of martyrdom. <laughs> it is built on martyrdom and it's also built on patriarchy and uh, you know, misguided Racism. charity, Racism. charitable urges. Oh, deeply. Deeply, yeah. I mean, if we just go back to where philanthropy. What about white saviorism, you guys? Isn't it also (laughs) built on white saviorism? (laughs) I think, but I, I, I hope that I hope that you explore this more in your podcast too, because I feel like this suffering piece is, is it's not just unique to evangelical Christian women. Yeah, to expand beyond that gender binary as well, people who are trans and who've experienced the marginalization within patriarchy around what gender they were assigned at birth is another huge layer of this that I think is also really important for us to un- to unpeel and see kind of what is what is this and how do we support each other, whatever our, our gender identity is through dismantling patriarchy, dismantling white supremacy, dismantling these structures that continue to harm people in perpetuity until we decide, hey, we don't want to do this anymore. We're going to do a different thing. That's a lot. And I think it's very important to remember as we have that conversation that we don't take away from the ideas of masculinity and femininity because those ideas are deeply tribal, ancient old from time immemorial for humanity constructs that cannot be, they're not about gender and non-binary and all that stuff. The divine feminine and the divine masculine are not about man, woman, boy, girl. They are about, it's not about your body parts. 
It's not about body parts. And I think that sometimes what happens, particularly for Christian folks, is when we start talking about gender identity, they go, ah! And I think that is actually a, a, a criticism I would have of feminism, is, is feminists haven't done a good enough job of saying, that's not what we're talking about. And I think also for for Christians who do, who are accepting of the LGBTQ community, like also we have to talk about that. And it's like a both and scenario. And I think this is really where I love what you all are exploring because life is both and it is not either or. No, it's all we're, we like exist in the gray. You know, we we are in all those murky, muddy yeah. waters. Yeah. And but and I'm a very left brain, black and white thinker. I like to have a set of rules. I like a fucking plan. Like you can ask my friends, like I am a planner. And so sometimes it's hard for me to live in the gray, but it's weird when it comes to my faith, because there's something where I've just at a certain point, maybe as I've gotten older, I've found a little bit of freedom in, I don't have to have those answers. You know, I was raised that the Bible is inerrant, that you cannot question it. And now that I'm sort of like, like when my daughter asks me these questions and I just, am like, you know, I don't know. And it's it's like weirdly free to understand that I believe in this divine creator. I believe that there's a power out there that's bigger than me. I believe, you know, that God is love and that we are made in his image. I do believe those things, but like the rest of it, I'm like, I don't fucking know. And and I'm weirdly okay with that. And I think that like there's a lot of freedom in I don't know, maybe it's in the magic or in the divine spirit, like just kind of understanding that there's a spiritual realm out there that like we can't maybe fully comprehend. And maybe as we do the work on ourselves, we can open ourselves up to more of it. We're not supposed to understand the ins and outs of of the vastness of the universe, of God, of spirit. If we are open to the possibility that the messages that we receive, the visions that we have, the things that are sitting right in front of our face are divinely inspired for us on purpose, with purpose. Then we don't have to understand it because that's not our job. That's God's job. That's not our job. There's a lot of freedom in that. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Bird, when you talked about the bar where you were sipping on some whiskey and writing some papers, you said a bunch of people walked in and your now husband's buddy at the time gave you the worst pickup line ever. I am dying to know what it was. Oh, God, I'm curious. Yes. Yeah, it's important. It's very important for your story. Are you ready? Yes. I'd like to bang you like a screen door in a hurricane. Oh, dear God. (gasps) What? Wow. And I looked at him and I said, not today, son. (laughs) Bold. He said to me, are you working? And I said, kind of, I'm grading papers I teach at the university. And he said, are you drinking whiskey straight up? And I said, yeah. And he goes, not a typical Utah girl, are you? And I said, oh, no, honey, not by a long shot. <laughs> is that not the worst pickup line you've ever heard, though? It's horrible. It truly. I was horrible. like, does that work? And Jim, yeah. you'd be surprised. I was like, well, oh, no women thanks. do better. On, right? Like, <laughs> have higher <laughs> expectations. I probably have a post-divorce moment where I would have been like, all right. Dr. Bird, you talked earlier about the connection between prayer and witchcraft, meditation, all of these kinds of terms. Spellcasting. Spellcasting. Yes. Talk to to us a bit about that because I, I recently got into tarot reading and have done a few. There is this beauty that happens when I'm reading tarot. I love tarot as a tool. I think it's one of the best tools. It's such a great tool. I think it's an awakener. I mean, that's what it felt like for me was I already had this intuition or I had this tacit knowledge of people and how we work and, you know, just this, I don't know what it is. And and tarot just kind of helped open that door by giving me a card and saying, now what? So this is this goes back to our conversation about Satan and and like this idea of the demons and all the things, right? Like if you can connect to God through something other than the Bible. And don't forget that the Bible used to be read only by preachers because no one could read. I have a copy of the Geneva Bible, which by the way, if y'all have never read the Geneva Bible, you can buy it online. It's very expensive, but it's the pre-King James version of the Bible. Oh yeah, a lot changed. Oh, so much changed. I want people to know that Tarot, oracle cards, candles, incense, rocks, whatever it is, herbs, those are all tools. We carry the knowledge inside of ourselves. So if you think about prayer, when you pray, you are literally putting letters together to form words and you're spelling. 
When we put letters together to make words, we are spelling. Yes. The literal definition of spelling is putting letters together to form words. So when we do that and we say a prayer, blessed be, so mote it be, amen. I mean, we say blessed be in church all the damn time. That's how you end a a spell. That's spell casting. Mm -hmm. So so (laughs) imagine if people in church figured out they were actually casting spells when they prayed. (laughs) Oh, the pearl clutching. (laughs) I know, right? Let us pray as Christ taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I loved that prayer, except for I had, like when we first said it in church, I had this whole Freddy Krueger like moment where I was like, why are we saying this prayer out loud? (laughs) Bad things going to happen because every horror movie has that prayer in it. The Lord's prayers in every horror movie ever. And I'm like, why are we saying this out loud? Something bad's going to happen. Yeah, that was my whole entire thing when I first went to church. This this is how we destigmatize witchcraft. The witch hunts were created. It was another papal bull and the priests, for the Catholic church had been working with women as healers to learn herbal medicine for the monks in the monasteries. And the Pope got mad at one of the healers. And so everyone became witches. And he started issuing an edict that all of the healers, the midwives, the people with the plant knowledge, because we were always the people with the plant knowledge, because for hundreds of thousands of years, that's how it was passed down, was through women, because we were the ones birthing the babies. And so the Pope got mad. He threw a fit and he said, no more women in the monasteries. And then he started turning women against each other. And it's the largest femicide in in recorded history. There's a really great book called Waking the Witch by Pam Grossman that gives a really beautiful, thorough history of the witch hunts. I really would love evangelical Christian women to know, Christian women to know, Jewish women, Muslim women, whatever, whatever your religious background is. When I cast a spell, I'm praying. I may not be praying to God or Jesus or Mary. I pray to Mary a lot. I may not be doing that, but I'm praying to something somewhere and I'm hoping that it's going to work. And if that's not prayer, I don't know what it is. I just say it three times. That sense of having these kinds of tools and using them for divination is not a thing where I feel like I've ever invited some other thing in. It's that it is externalizing my own intuition. I can use a pendulum and get an answer from a pendulum. And then my gut knows, is this really what I want? Yeah. And if if it says yes, and I feel no, then I'm like, okay, no. Like, it's not... It's I not can't that use I a then... pendulum at all. So go you. Like, that's the thing. Like, that's the other thing is I feel like people are like sitting around thinking that we're all like, like we all use all these things, right? Yeah. Like, I can't use a pendulum. I cannot use a pendulum to save my damn life. Cause I'm like, I want you to go the way I want you to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thing, I mean, it is. I can't use them at all, but my mother's really great with them. Like, I, I think this is the other thing for all you witches out there that are going to hear this and be like, what? There's no rules except for this one. Do not harm other people. Yeah. Be kind, not mean. Absolutely. As you hone your intuition, you cast better spells. You pray better prayers. You become more generous and open-hearted toward all of creation, all beings, all people, all everything, because you recognize how interconnected and how valuable each and every living thing is. And that sense of progressing with creation and being a part of that. I had a job recently, I just left it, where I was working on homelessness in, in Eugene and Lane County, and which is for everyone else who's not from Oregon, not too far away from where Dr. Bird lives. <laughs> I thought of it the whole time as witching homelessness. And yeah. so the work I was doing was intricate. It was about public policy. It was about communicating with the community and doing a lot of kind of public education. And at the same time, the work I was doing was very much about my spell of every soul, a place to sleep. That was my spell. It's written all over the place. I wrote it everywhere and I made sigils out of it and I kept it in my mind and I said it aloud multiple times a day and thought it, and it was my meditation. And that's what it's about. What you're both talking about, Meg bringing up tarot, and I I want you to do a reading for me and make me cry. That would be fun. Is that sense of just how we are able to reconnect back with our own spirit. And in doing that, reconnect with 
all spirit and with each other's spirits too. Well, we have to remember in context, the Bible doesn't become popular if all of us have a million different ways to connect to God. Yeah. You can't control other people with the Bible if we can all connect to God in a million other ways. That's one of our own, right? Like if we can do it on our own, we don't need the church. That's right. Mm -hmm. And that's what the church is afraid of. And yet I still go to church and sob my face off. That is the place I go to, to pray and kneel and light candles and take communion and do all the things. Because that is the place I truly feel holy. Holy. Church is your coven. I know. Oh, oh my gosh. I, I want to say this really quick. Holy, H-O-L-Y, and holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Mm. Holy and holy. Yeah. Yeah. Lindsay, I, feel, I feel that so deeply. No, it's just like we, like we contain multitudes. And I think that our faith can look so differently. And that is my absolute favorite thing about co-hosting this with these ladies, that we are in very different places in our spiritual journey, but we have so much love and respect for one another and we're able to hash these things out. And it's like messy and and beautiful. And I think that Dr. Bird, like listening to you talk about your church experiences, it also gives me so much like hope. I was like, oh, I didn't know I was coming to record a podcast, but I've been like in a Bible study, but like the only good Bible study I've ever been to maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't feel guilty about anything. I've been shamed by anything. Like it's just a very uplifting experience. I'm so damn glad we had you on. Oh, Dr. Bird. I think I could keep talking to you for the next century. So I wish we could keep talking. I know we all have families and responsibilities and hopefully time to rest. Uh, We all love to encourage that. So I hope you do get some time to rest as well. If you guys want to check out Dr. Bird locally, please do. Otherwise, you can find her online and we'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Bird, for joining us. This has been more of a spiritual awakening than I was expecting. Holy Ghosting is a same team media production. Music by Weep Bar. AP Weber produced the show. We'd like to give a special thanks to Meredith Holly and Eris Conflict Resolution for consulting with us about our stories. If you have a story of abuse and you're worried about telling it publicly, they're available to help you tell your story in a way that keeps you safe. Find them at erisresolution.com. Thanks for joining us. And if you miss us in between shows, you can find us on socials posting almost every day at Holy Ghosting Pod, Instagram and TikTok.